Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. My father gave me that verse many years ago. I was a freshman in college, and I had just gotten cut from the baseball team, and I realized that professional baseball was not going to be God's call on my life. Nevertheless, God has given me the desires of my heart. Today, we live in Boone, North Carolina, which is amazing, with my incredible wife, Jamie. My name is Stephen. My two beautiful kids, and I have the opportunity to do what I love most in this world. So thank you for the opportunity to be with you this morning. Children dream of what they will be when they grow up. Middle school and high school can be somewhat treacherous, but young people enter college with a certain excitement and energy toward pursuing their dreams. I don't mean to be stereotypical, but oftentimes young ladies go to college and they dream that they will meet their Prince Charming, even though adolescence is often riddled with horrible relationships, they remain cautiously optimistic. And then ultimately that proposal happens and conversations begin regarding their hopes and their dreams and what they look forward to in their life together. Finally, there's marriage. They talk about how many kids, they probably talked about this beforehand, but how many kids do you want? And when do you want to start the family? They start a career. They're working that, that career for a while. They buy their first home. And then they decide it's time to start the family. And typically, children follow, and then the propagation of a life of fulfilled aspirations continues. However, Life is not always the stuff of the magical world of Disney. For some, expanding the family beyond husband and wife is not the happily ever after. Weeks turn into months that turn into years, trying to conceive and nothing. The pain is cyclical. Every month there is a tangible reminder that life is not turning out how we had hoped and planned and dreamed. This was our reality. It's also the reality of the broken hero of faith I want to talk about this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, 11 says, By faith, even Sarah herself when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. We're introduced to Sarah as Sarai in Genesis chapter 11, where we are given this sad reality of her life of 65 years. Genesis 11.30 says, Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child 
Solomon says that there are three things that are never satisfied, four never say it is enough. And the second on that list is the barren womb. Barren, childless, a stigma, a curse. This is not the way life is supposed to be, says who? In a day when being fruitful and multiplying was everything, for Sarah, this was quite possibly a brutal existence. So considering the aforementioned, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is given a strange promise. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. This is not only a a promise regarding a place, it's a promise for a people, which is strange indeed. At this point, I don't think Sarai cares about this promise. I don't think that she believes at this point she will be the womb that is going to make this happen. God promises again in Genesis 15. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram continued, look, you have, Lord, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born to me in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. I, I think it's interesting to note in this particular, this particular verse where the promise is, The Lord says from Abraham's body or Abram's body, he doesn't say at this point, Sarah's body. Ten years go by and nothing. Ten years is a long time to wait. In 12 years, you can go to kindergarten and graduate from high school. In 10 years, you can go to college, graduate from college, get married, start a career, and start a family in 10 years. That's a a long time. Sarah is 75 and quite possibly cynical toward the promise, the wish, the dream. So she contrives a plan to help God with the fulfillment of the promise. You know how that feels? Genesis 16, 1. Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her, I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. This may have been common practice of the culture of that day, but misguided indeed. I think Abraham should probably bear more of the blame in this story. He's the one that made the baby with Hagar with tragic consequences. 
So now, Sarai, as if the grief over the last 75 or so years was not bad enough, now she has a living reminder of her failure, of her identity, of her reproach. Grieving, broken, old, cynical, aching, hurt, humiliated, overwhelmed, frustrated. Does that sound familiar? Dashed hopes, broken relationships, rejection, stress, unanswered prayers, lifeless, loveless marriage, financial failure, deteriorating health, unmet expectations, infertility. Almost 15 years of this added to the 10 years after the promise and then all of her life before then. Decades of struggle preceding a promise. Why this weight? Lamentations 3.25 and following, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for deliverance from the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is still young. But how long, O Lord, you can say that with me because I know you've said that before, how long, O Lord? Children don't understand the concept of time. Thus, the repeated question on road trips, are we there yet? How much longer until we get there? And our response, five minutes from the last time you asked me. So when there's, if you're traveling a long distance and you have four hours to go, what do you tell a four-year-old who doesn't understand the difference between one hour, hour and four hours? We had the privilege of going to visit my family in Wisconsin several weeks ago, and I indeed have a four-year-old. And that is a long trip. If you ask him about the trip, he is quite possibly going to recount. He won't talk to you, but if he were to recount to you, he would probably just talk about how long the trip was. He, he won't remember meeting cousins that he had never met before and they were fun. They're close to his age. A lot of fun. He won't remember. He's not going to talk about the zoo. He's not going to talk about golfing with his dad, his uncle, and his grandpa. And he's probably not going to talk about going down the ski slope on a luge-like sled with wheels on it. He's just going to talk about how long the trip was. Now it's long. 14 hours or so one way without kids and without stops. 1,600 miles both ways. But I understand time as it relates in, in the perspective that I haven't, hadn't seen some of my family in two years. So 14 hours one way, 28 hours plus two ways for a week of quality time with my family. That's worth it, right? God understands time from the perspective of eternity. 
So when we complain or step in to help God because we've waited two years for God to fix a problem, it's like a kid who's complaining because two out, dinner is two hours away and I'm starving now. 25 years for his plan to accomplish the impossible for all nations, for all eternity. See, this family is central to the revelation of God's redemptive plan. I borrowed that line from John Piper. This story is crucial to our faith that nothing is impossible with God. And do you know how impossible it is to conceive when the womb is dead? I'm not a scientist, I'm not a biologist, and I'm not going to try to impress you with my knowledge, but I'm going to suffice to say that when Gabriel goes to Mary to tell her that she is with child without the seed of a man, and now we're in the realm of the ridiculous, he uses as his defending argument, consider Elizabeth. And here's how it reads in Luke 1.36. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary knows the womb is God's domain. She remembers how God opened Sarah's womb asking, is anything impossible for the Lord? And now in the midst of her doubt, her own relative also old and barren is now with child and Gabriel reminds her in answer to the big question, nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary says, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. I believe that by faith Mary was with child since she considered him faithful who had promised. And born to her was the savior of the world, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, an everlasting covenant born to take away the sins of the world. 25 years, not so long when you consider the magnitude of the work that was accomplished, redemption, covenant fulfilled, the son of promise born. 2,000 plus years later, another son of promise would be born so that you and I would have the opportunity to be born again. He would die and he would rise again three days later according to his promise. And today we wait for his glorious appearing. Sarah is now 89 when she hears this. She's now called Sarah because of something God told Abraham to call her Sarah. Where's your wife, Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years to say the least. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. After I have become shriveled up and my Lord is old, will I have delight? 
I think that's an interesting comment. Zerd doesn't just understand that she's old and it's unlikely to bear children at this age. But she recognizes that there's a little work involved in conception. When we were younger, married, and uh, people were wondering if we were ever going to have kids, and so they would ask us the question, are you trying to have kids? It's a tricky question to answer. The way that I figured out to answer was, uh, we're not trying to not have kids. So you can fill in the blank. Sarah recognizes that she's going to have to try to have a child. They had probably stopped trying some years ago. But the Lord asked Abraham, verse 13, why did Sarah laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord at the appointed time? I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you did laugh. Somewhere in this exchange, I believe, there is a change in Sarah's heart. Is anything impossible with the Lord? We have story after story that suggests to us that nothing is impossible with the Lord. But Sarah primarily must have faith. You see, there is a pattern of God in his word. He removes the obstacles of faith by dismantling our earthly kingdoms, my earthly economy, limiting our abilities, deteriorating our strength. He makes us wait unbearably long, and he calls us to insurmountable odds. God does not share glory. He is going to accomplish his purposes. Those purposes will be impossible with man. We will not get credit. So in order for us not to get the credit, he writes miraculous stories in our lives. 89, broken, old, forgiven. Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Here's what I find remarkable in Sarah's story. You see, faith is demonstrated by works, action, movement in the direction of God's promise. Since we believe that God is faithful to his every word, we act accordingly. Sarah is 89. What does she do now? Little sanctified imagination here. Could we dim the lights, please? turn on some Michael Buble. I'll tell you what she does. She puts on her most attractive evening wear, makes herself not just presentable to Abram, 
but irresistible. She prepares a candlelight feast for her 99-year-old prince, Charming. He comes home from a hard, hot day out in the fields, sweaty, wrinkly, and hungry. The honeymoon suite awaits, and Sarah puts herself in the place of pleasure with her stud. And I'm going to stop here for the sake of our younger listeners and those of you who are about to walk out of the building. (laughs) Let's fast forward a few days. What is Sarah doing now? She's humming. She's expecting before there's any biological evidence that she is expecting. Sarah is expanding the tent. She's getting the nursery ready and making blue baby garments. She's probably not getting a baby shower at 89. No one believes this nonsense. Why is she doing all this? Because she considered him faithful who had promised. The rest of the story, Genesis 21.1, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Verse 6, Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. He makes promises and he keeps them. Wait for him. He makes claims and he makes Good, trust him and obey. So Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. When we by faith unquestionably believe that God is faithful to his word, we rejoice in hope, we wait patiently. We give generously. We labor relentlessly. We pray persistently because he who promised is faithful. What is your dilemma? Where has God made you hope against hope? How bad is it? Impossible. How long have you waited right where he wants us. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Sarah lived it. David sang it. And we believe it. Our present affliction is not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed. Persevere in a lifeless, loveless marriage because the God of the impossible wants you to experience that joy again. Persevere in prayer for your lost 
prodigal child because what is impossible with man is possible with God. The dead womb is God's domain. Only he can bring life. The dead heart is God's domain. Only he can bring life. And it is not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Keep sharing your faith. Keep praying. Keep walking as children of light in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. We give him the opportunity to accomplish the impossible when we act in accordance with our belief that he who promised is faithful. Let's pray. Father, you have made some outlandish promises. Thank you for keeping those promises. And while we may not see the ultimate fulfillment of that which we hope for, we, by faith, believe that Jesus, you are coming back. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room today, those who have been waiting overwhelmed with life's present circumstances, may your grace be sufficient to enable them to wait. May they find the joy, the strength, the grace to be able to watch you work and trust you to accomplish the impossible in the midst of their circumstances. But we're gonna love you. We're gonna praise you. We're gonna laugh along with Sarah, knowing that you are faithful, who promised. Jesus, it's because of you, it's in the authority and the power that we pray these things, amen.